0: Welcome to the Alliance Live podcast, spotlighting emerging issues, examples of good practice and innovation taking place within health and social care in Scotland.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of Alliance Live. I'm Andrew Strong, the Assistant Director of Policy and Communications at the Alliance. And in this episode, I'm grateful to be joined by Morven Brooks, who is Chief Executive Officer of Disability Equality Scotland. And Morven's going to tell us more about the organisation's work and its recent survey into disabled people's experiences of physical distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi, Morven.
0: Hi, Andrew. How
1: are you? I'm very well. How, how are you? And how, how's the team at Disability
0: Equality Scotland? Oh, we're all really, really well, thanks. Yeah,
1: yeah. I wonder if we could start by, um, by telling us a little bit more about Disability Equality Scotland, and what the organisation does and who you work with.
0: Absolutely. So we are a national charity working to make life more accessible and equal and inclusive for disabled people in Scotland. We promote access in its widest sense and that includes access to the built and natural environment and access to the same opportunities that we enjoy with others in our communities. Therefore promoting a life of dignity, respect, choice and independence for everyone. We also represent the views of individuals with any type of impairment as well as disability organisations and groups who share our values. We're also a membership organisation currently with over 800 members across Scotland and we listen to their views of, we listen to the views of disabled people. We work to influence the policies of the Scottish Government which affect how disabled people live and also how we encourage others to be inclusive and informed in their attitudes. Supports disabled people too. We're also the umbrella body for access panels across Scotland and currently there are 36 access panels across Scotland and if you're not sure what an access panel is, they are groups of volunteer disabled people who work to improve access, equality and inclusion in their local communities.
1: That's great. Um, And as we're talking to each other, we're still in stage one of um, uh, the phased approach to coming out of lockdown. Um, And lots of us are working from home and we're speaking to each other on a remote connection via Zoom. Um, Have you and your colleagues been working with each other during the pandemic and and also with your 800 members uh, during this time?
0: Absolutely, so we've been very fortunate that we've already had a flexible working policy in place already. Um, I actually live in Orkney and um, so I've been working this way for over a year anyway. Um, I've actually found this period of time actually better for me in a way because I've been able to connect with a lot more people than what I would normally do without having to travel down to the central belt of Scotland all the time. We've also taken this opportunity to start hosting our events online via Zoom. Now we do have a a pro-plan, I think it is, um, where that enhances the security, so we're we're well assured that the security measures we've taken in place um, are there um, for our members and for ourselves as well. So we've recently held a Disability Roadshow via Zoom uh, with SESTRAN and over 30 people attended that uh, Zoom session, which was really good and generated a lot of useful discussion. Um, We've also had an opportunity to have our first coffee morning with Access Panels. Again, this was a a really good opportunity to check in with them, how they're doing, um, and really allowing them the opportunity to engage with each other, but also with ourselves. We're also hosting our AGM this year by Zoom. Again, that's a first for us, like many other organisations out there at this time. Um, But so far, the response has been fantastic, really good response with people registering so far.
1: I guess if you're up in Orkney, which I, I didn't know before we started this call, but um, that you'll be you'll be happy that a lot of people are moving more into remote means, and that you're able to get in contact with people more than than maybe previously.
0: Absolutely, it can be quite isolating living in a, a rural location, um, anyway, um, and to have the the technology there to to have meetings like this and being able to do a podcast podcast like this as well and not actually have to leave my home. Um, It it really is, really is the benefits are tremendous to be honest. Um, And again, I've been able to to engage with ministers via Zoom as well during this time, which again is a real big advantage for me. Um, And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that can continue.
1: Fantastic. Well let's let's move on to the work that you've been doing at Disability Equality Scotland over the last few weeks. I understand you've been speaking to your members about how the pandemic has affected them. Uh, can, you, can you tell me more about the survey that you've undertaken?
0: Yeah, so we, we've, taken, we've undertaken a baseline survey as well as our weekly poll surveys, which we do every week. And that's based on one question, answer yes or no, which across our membership, we're generating a, a lot more response with that approach. Um, So in March as we headed into lockdown we did work closely with our members to to gauge the impact on disabled people that the current pandemic is having on them. The the initial baseline survey did highlight the initial concerns with regards to health both mental and physical, the access to essential supplies, um, changes to care packages, social issues such as isolation, and services available and the information, how that information is actually received. So, we're talking about in, how inclusive that communication is being communicated at this time as well. So, we supplemented our initial baseline survey with our weekly poll format, which I just mentioned. Um, and we've been conducting those weekly polls um, for the last two years with our members. So, again, the, the scenario that we find ourselves in with this pandemic has actually been an ideal opportunity to really. Put across vital questions at this time using our, our weekly poll format um, and again it's not just ourselves that are benefiting from that data we're sharing a lot of these briefing documents with ministers and Scottish government to inform the current guid- guidance that's been published especially as we're phasing out the lockdown period.
1: Great and um, I guess the, the reason why we're talking today is uh, from the perspective of the Alliance's Health and Social Care Academy programme. And um, one, of the thing, one of the key themes of that programme over the last four or five years has been to emphasise the importance of emphasising humanity and human rights of people who access support and services. Uh, and, and also being about enabling people to flourish. Um, and that's become more challenging in light of this pandemic. So what, what sort of issues are people telling you that they faced
0: yeah, absolutely. So our members have highlighted that equality and human rights impacts, or the, the impacts that that has on disabled people from not being able to access our health and social care, uh, in which some cases has resulted in greater reliance on family, friends and neighbours. Um, of course, there's, there will be people out there that don't even have that support network too. Concerns have also been raised about the access to information for people with communication impairments. This includes barriers created by the face masks that are slowly being introduced, um, the social distancing, the physical distancing, and the shift towards telephone and digital contact only. So an example of how some members have experienced that digital contact, they're not, they, if they're unable to use the telephone because of deafness, again, they can't get hold of any companies out there. And a lot of companies have pulled out their email contact approach. Um, and of course, even when using the telephone, it can be quite frustrating for ourselves, for everybody, basically, not being able to get through to key services that you need at this time as well.
1: And it is, is, our, is our physical infrastructure in Scotland, is that, um, for example, our roads and our street layers, is that appropriate to enable physical distancing for disabled people in particular?
0: Pavements in general are not wide enough, nor are they equipped to deal with uh, disabled people's needs even without the need for physical distancing. And that's been one strong element that's came across in our surveys uh, with our members. Um, Especially the the weekly poll that we carried out uh, last week on physical distancing. Um, Concerns were related to narrow pavements, uneven surfaces and the lack of dropped curbs making it difficult for wheelchair users to get on and off pavements. Our members also found it challenging to maintain the two metre distance when queuing at pedestrian crossings, as an example. Um, and these concerns are increased by, of course, pavement parking and street clutter, which obviously narrows the space around them to, be, to enable them to manoeuvre as well. There were also ongoing challenges faced by members due to obstructions, on pathways by street clutter and recently we raised concerns about the proposed amendments at stage two of the coronavirus bill which was to increase street furniture for cafes and restaurants allowing them to to use that pavement space essentially to to open up and maintain that physical distancing Um, and of course tables and chairs will decrease the space and act as a hazard for people with reduced mobility and visual impairments.
1: I guess that, so. That that's been an issue that a number of our members have expressed, and it's it's interesting because so where I'm sitting in Glasgow, obviously there's been big changes to the way that um, the street infrastructure is happening and the way that the roads are happening, and that has a big impact on disabled people that that possibly councils and um, and politicians locally are maybe not aware of. Is that is has that been an issue that people have raised with you at all?
0: Yes, absolutely. There's no engagement or consultation happening with disabled people. That's the problem. Um, Not from the very outset of that planning process. And that's something that we are continuously trying to push that message. Come to us and we can help you coordinate discussions with your local access panel or or local disabled people that we know of. Because you really need that input from the outset of any planning process when making changes to our infrastructure. Um, I can't stress how vital that is.
1: Moving on, what, what have your members been telling you about the attitudes and behaviours that they've experienced during this period?
0: Absolutely. There were consensus amongst our members that social distancing was not being followed by the general public. So, for example, runners and cyclists being highlighted as groups causing particular concern for the majority of our members when using public pathways. And several of our members commented on the difficulties that are posed by cyclists who they perceive as self-entitled uh, to use the pathways um, without any due consideration for those that can't easily give way. For example, someone in a wheelchair, they might not be able to move as quickly as a, someone on a, on a bicycle. So also the, the, also the close proximity of cyclists using the pavements or cycling close to the kerb con- uh, was also a concern.
1: And I I understand that some disabled people have have told you that they've been experiencing hate crimes during this period. Um, What have have the issues been most experienced by people and uh, what is the nature of those experiences?
0: Absolutely, so there was a a huge concern raised uh, by our members, a huge concern raised by ourselves when we were reading the responses actually, um, on the responses that indicated quite a high level of uh, disability hate crime taking place. And this is specifically where members of the public have approached and accused disabled people of breaking lockdown or questioned why they're outside. The assumption being that that all disabled should be shielding. Now that's absolutely ridiculous. That there needs to be um, some sort of awareness campaign through the, the current guidance that's been issued around shielding and the physical distancing that actually not all disabled people um, have to shield actually many disabled people who are actually key workers at this time as well and providing vital services to our communities um, there's examples through the, the survey of many of them being verbally abused by members of the public and that in itself causes a lot of anxiety and, not, and doesn't want to allow those people to then go back outside again further causing further problems in isolation and mental health problems as well
1: Given given the, the the point at which we're talking that shielding the shielding group has been uh, the time at which they uh, expected shield has been extended until the end of July that's six weeks from when we're speaking just now um, people are likely to face more of those types of issues more of those types of comments I should imagine in the coming weeks as as uh, we move through the phases of coming out of lockdown for the general population and I think that. You know, there does need to be some clarity, more clarity in public consciousness around the the nature of shielding and who is expected to shield. Absolutely. Um, what What should people do if they've, if they've they've experienced a hate crime in the street? Yeah.
0: So they can um, any anyone who has experienced hate crime. um, and more specifically disability hate crime, they can go onto Police Scotland's website or contact a third-party reporting centre. So in some cases, victims and witnesses of a hate crime don't always feel comfortable reporting the matter directly to, to Police Scotland and they may be more comfortable reporting that to someone that they're more familiar with. Um, so to ensure that anyone is able to report hate crimes, Police Scotland works in partnership with a wide variety of of organisations and groups um, who, who perform a third party reporting who perform as a third party reporting centre and these partners have been trained to assist people really to submit and report to Police Scotland and make a report on their behalf. So examples of a third-party reporting centre um, are housing associations to victim support offices and voluntary groups but however, currently due to the current pandemic, a number of those locations are obviously closed to the public and not open, but they do have other ways that you can still contact them via email or telephone. Um, if anyone else, if anybody does obviously uh, need to report a hate crime, they can also call 101, 101 or 999 if, if it is an emergency as well.
1: Okay, that that's really helpful information, and I'm sure that there is more online about um, third-party reporting centres as well. I believe, and you can you can look that up online to see who who acts in, in, as a third party. Um, moving on to moving on to travel during this period, um, what sort of measures are required to enable active travel as well as physical distancing?
0: Yes. so on the 26th of May this year, Transport Scotland launched the Transport Transition Plan with an announcement that there would be increased funding for active travel, including an infrastructure programme for pop-up cycling and cycling routes. So this involves improvements to our existing routes to better enable physical distancing. The general consensus though amongst our members was that by nature, active travel excludes disabled people and that a similar investment
1: should be made to accessible travel. And one of the biggest risk factors that um, people have highlighted, and I know in my discussions with other members of the Alliance, such as RNIB Scotland, who've also done a large survey with vision impaired people, one of the big issues that have been highlighted has been when people are out and about doing their shopping. And I know, uh, I know that's a place where i find um, that physical distancing with others is is most difficult. What have you heard from disabled people about their experiences of shopping and physical distancing?
0: Yeah, so we already reported on some of the challenges that, that disabled people and our members face when they're, they're going out food shopping. And our poll from the 20th of April um, indicated that 69% had experienced difficulties accessing food shopping supermarkets have imposed measures to help cust- customers with physical distancing such as markers on the floor and protective screens at the tills however for anyone with a visual impairment um, it, it's not helpful enough there's no tactile markings on the floor for example there's no audio announcements either for anyone with a visual impairment so um, those measures don't go far enough if i'm honest um, and others also reported that the stress of shopping um, and not following those physical distancing rules, um, their anxiety and stress has also been increased. And it is, it is stopping people from going out, getting the essentials that they need at this time as well. So m- more does need to happen around the accessibility of that physical distancing because none of us know how long as yet that will be in place for.
1: You mentioned sort of tactile things and what, what else would what else could help in those sort of environments? are there other things that could be, that, that you think should be done, and more things that could be done by supermarkets, for example, or in retail environments as things open up?
0: I think there needs to be more awareness amongst the staff of these of retail shops essentially um, a lot of, a lot of shops do undergo sort of that, that accessibility training awareness and um, disability awareness. It doesn't go far enough though. Um, and there is still an ignorance out there that if, if you're out you should be able to, to to be able to do it yourself. People still need support and guidance when they go out and if they can, especially for anyone with a visual or a uh, hearing impairment you're taking their independence away if that support isn't provided so even if the the, the awareness within the, the staff members within that that retail shop for example was there they could still offer support from a physical distance um there might be times when you there, there will be times when um the, you will have to get closer to that customer but again if if the PPE is available in all these premises as well, it shouldn't be too much of a problem to still be able to to provide that support.
1: That's that's great. And finally, uh, um, you mentioned your conversations with ministers and, and and others over the last few months. What would Disability Equality Scotland like to see done to mitigate? Some of the discrimination that people are experiencing, and are you putting that? Are you putting those ideas forward to ministers? And what what have their responses been?
0: Responses have been very positive. So the the suggestions that we've um, had to, when we've had those discussions is have consultation at the very first point of discussion and planning. I know it's a very it's a very stressful time for everybody, especially amongst Scottish Government and Ministers. We're moving at such a fast pace that guidance documents are being turned around very quickly and it is difficult to have that consultation with every characteristic group at this time. However, accessibility should still be considered at the very first point of planning and that's something that we've always communicated to Ministers and to anybody that's planning anything. Um, whether it be around inclusive communication, whether you're, you need to take physical accessibility into account as well. Um, it depends on what the matter is, of course, but from, an, from a communication point of view, inclusive communication is really important, so the announcements that we hear every week It's not going far enough that the accessible formats are available at that point of publishing, for example, so to to make sure it's all very well that we've got a BSL signer with the First Minister at every uh, meeting that she has, that's really good, that's really positive, but what about the other accessible formats that are available when these guidance documents are published? there's no easy read, there's no alternative format for download, for example, um, when it's published online. So it's to take those, take those measures into account.
1: Okay, Th- thanks Morgan. That's been, that's been fascinating. Thank-, thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you. Well, thanks very much, Andrew. Thanks. Uh,
1: thanks to everyone for listening. Um, I should close by saying that this podcast is being recorded on the 12th of June 2020 and all of the information within it is correct at the time of recording.
0: You can find the Alliance Live podcast on all major podcast streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Alliance Live also produces webinars, video interviews, and case studies. Watch these by visiting www.alliance-scotland.org.uk forward live. To follow along regularly with Alliance Live content, Use the hashtag AllianceLive on Twitter.